We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Tyler Evans with the super chat. We already did this one. We did. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. It's all right, but thanks again, Tyler. Appreciate yeah. you. I was so all happy right. that he did that. You know. I know, right, Mitchell Coney. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the super chat, man. Appreciate it. I believe if Notre Dame goes eleven and one with a close loss to one of the big three games, they make the playoff. Agreed. Well, then he says, "Is this realistic?" I think it is. Do you think uh, they up. need? They need uh, outside help for that to happen or get by with the strength of schedule. Here's the reality, Vince. There's no way you can convince me that Notre Dame with a loss controls its own destiny with no context. Because they don't. Because I could then say to you, well, but what if you have four undefeated Power 5 conference champs? Then Notre Dame's not in at 11-1. and Which is definitely possible, yeah. Right, it's possible. So the, the answer is... I agree with your premise that an 11 and one Notre Dame, as long as there's not a blowout loss is a playoff team, 11 and one based on recent history, but it'd have been a lot tougher for that 11 and one Notre Dame team to get in, in 2018. Sure. Right. Cause you'd have had a 12 and one Ohio state with the, what that one bad loss against Purdue, but they would have also had some really good wins on their schedule. Right. So, I mean, Notre Dame at 12 and one, even against the schedule they have this year, let's say that they, Lose to, um, you know, be, lose to Clemson, beat Ohio State, beat USC. But let's say Michigan has a similar year that Ohio State had in 2018. That year, Ohio State beat number nine Penn State on the road. They beat number 18 Michigan State on the road. Um, they beat number four Michigan by 23. They want, they went to the conference championship game, won by 21. You know, beat like I said, beat number 18 Michigan State by 20. I'm not sure if I said the score on that. Yeah, it'd be tough for Notre Dame with one loss and one fewer overall win to get in if it was that one loss team and two other undefeateds or three under undefeateds. Like we saw, because in 2018, there were three undefeateds Notre Dame, uh, Clemson, and Alabama. And then you had one loss, Oklahoma got in. And then one loss, Ohio State was left out at 12 and one. So we've seen seasons where a really good one loss team with some really big wins got left out. Right. Because it just was only a lot of so the point is Notre Dame does not control its own destiny, so they would still need outside help. 
Now, it's not a lot of outside help because they would have a great strength of schedule. But they would need at least two other Power 5 champs, at least, to have a loss, in my opinion. At least two, maybe three, to have a loss where they're 11-1. and Because here's the thing Notre Dame doesn't have this year, Vince. They don't have 12 Power 5 or 12 FBS opponents to stack up now against the SEC team who's 12 and one. Cause Notre Dame used to be able to say, Hey, you're 12 and one. We're 11 and one, but you beat an FCS team. So we're really a le- same record against FBS opponents. Notre Dame can't say that now because they play, they'd only be 10 and one against FBS opponents right. in that scenario. Right. That's true. Cause no, they're playing Tennessee true. state. So they would need help, but I still think. I think they would get it. I they think they would the help still would be, be there, I, but they would, would need be, help. I would be yeah. shocked to see that many undefeated conference champs agree you know especially this year where there's just but you're right there's definitely a scenario where an 11-1 Notre Dame team doesn't go to the playoff it's just to me it's very slim the margin is very slim I don't see that happening I mean we've seen we've seen an 11-1 Notre Dame team not make the playoff sure right now the difference is again it's strength schedule but this is where playing Tennessee State hurts you by the way to a degree I mean you handle your business you're in that's the reality of it any team that loses it needs help. Even sure. a twelve and one Bama SEC champ would need some help. If if let's say that SEC champ goes twelve and one this year, Ohio State goes thirteen and zero, Clemson goes thirteen and zero, Texas goes thirteen and zero, and USC goes thirteen and zero. Bama's getting left out probably because one of their losses was to the Big Twelve champ, right? Texas. Because if Texas goes thirteen to zero, they beat Bama. But how are you going to justify putting twelve and one Alabama with a loss in a non or a, a loss to four thirteen and zero Power Five teams, right? So even the moment you lose, you need help. Sure, you need somebody else to lose. Well, Some other in that lose. scenario, that's true for I'm everybody. Already, I'm not paying any attention to the postseason because Notre Dame lost three games, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm in mourning because okay. Notre Dame went nine and three. Okay, I'm sorry. We'll do this. Michigan, no, I'm sorry. Penn State goes undefeated. Uh, and uh, Florida State goes undefeated. How about that, Vince? Okay, and all right, thanks. Washington goes undefeated. There we go. And Notre Dame goes eleven and one. Texas goes thirteen and zero. Bama goes twelve and one. Guess what? Notre Dame's not. Not only are they not fourth, they're not even fifth in that scenario. Because you'd probably have, you'd probably have Bama ahead of them. I'm not saying they should be, but in that scenario, they probably you, would. You, you might. Because in, in that scenario, Notre Dame beat those three teams but lost to NC State or something like that. Right. Then at best, you're fifth, most likely. Just because of just the Nate. No, those teams that would win, it would have to have such weak schedules that you're just like, yeah, we can't yeah. respect that. But right. I just don't know that that's going to happen. Whew. Scenarios good I don't like super chat about, questions. Yeah, today. that was good. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Shelton Hager 91, thank you so much for the super chat. After last Friday for uh after last Friday for another throwback, would the four horsemen be good in today's football? Also, how good were they really? I have a hard time coming up with good questions because of how good the chat is and y'all are go Irish. Well, I'll tell you what. So, one of the reasons that the four horsemen were so good is because of the shift and it was it was a it was a revolutionary way to operate with the offensive side of the football. Right. You didn't know where the ball was going to go. There was some misdirection. There was some shifting. So it would change the strength. And, you know, di- you know, so that's why, that's one of the reasons that the four horsemen were as good as they were, right? Is because of the innovation of Newt Rockney. Right. On an individual basis, obviously they had to be decent athletes. Right. But I think more of it had to do with the, the innovation from the offense. What say you, Brian Driscoll? No, I, I'm there. I mean, I, I'm there with you. Look, it. I can't tell you how good they were because they played 1924. Well, and that's so, right. Like you can't. You know what I mean, like, like if you put the four horsemen up against like Audric Estimate, Darian Price, uh, you know, Jabron Payne and Jeremiah Love, and you put those four in one backfield well, and the other four in the other. But I don't even mean that. I mean, even if we take them as like, okay, they were great. Like I don't know what numbers in 1924 look like i'm actually trying to look it up if i can look 1924 college football leading rushers like they didn't have a guy rush for over 1800 yards i mean that that's the thing is i don't know what great numbers were back in the 1924 like i I just went to the ncaa and they don't have leading rushers until 1937 right so i don't even even, ncaa back in the in 24 the ncaa did not compile and distribute official national rushing statistics until 1937 so I, i don't i don't know what rushing stats looks like but i'll say this starting in 1937 and in the first five years only three years was the leading rusher in college football over a thousand yards so if i just looked at notre dame with no context i mean you know don miller led them in rushing at 794 and he only had five touchdowns he also had 19 catches for 340 like okay those aren't like that's a that's that's basically what logan diggs did last year right to your point but in context but he did that nine games True. You know, Elmer Layden did it. You know, he had 445 rushing yards and passed, you know, it went 0 of 6 passing. He, you know, 445 yards at 3.7 a carry. That's what Chris Tyree did. Mm-hmm. You know, but didn't some of those guys play defense too? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, so right. um, it's just such a different era. It's just so oh. different. And the, but here's the, the thing. Here's what different. I know. Why is the Four Horsemen considered a great team? Well, partly because – or I mean a great duo. It's 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 schedule. I mean, you know, not schedule, but like reputation and all that other kind of stuff. 
but it's also because that 19, 1924 Notre Dame team was a national champion. They were great. Sure. They were a great team. They played in the Rose Bowl that year. You know, that was a year we were talking about earlier where if you look at their first eight games, they give up 0, 0, 7, 0, 3, 3, 3, 6, and 6, 19, and 10 that year. You know, scored over. Pretty good. Yeah, I mean, like they only scored, quote unquote, only scored 28.5 points per game. That ranked sixth in college football that year. Yeah. Only gave up 5.4. Again, it's just a different era. It's hard to compare that. But were they they were clearly dominant because they dominated teams. I just don't know how that dominance stacks up. Mm-hmm. And would they be good in, in today's football? I mean, th- that's kind of where, Vince, you were going with that is – right. Well, if you put those guys, they probably weren't very big. But if they were alive to – first of all, the only way that would count is like, okay, so then they'd be like 100-something years old, right, <laughs> right, if they played today. Like somebody told me about the comment Michael Jordan made a few years ago. A buddy of mine was like – somebody asked Jordan, you know, if you guys played the Warriors, you know, would you win? Yeah. <laughs> and Jordan was like, well, we'd win in six. And they're like, they think they take a couple games. He's like, yeah, but we're all like 60 years old. You know, he, he wasn't even talking about like – when we were our prize, I'm like, like now. That's a great but answer. But if those guys grew up now, they'd be bigger and stronger and faster and right. would play in different systems. So it's just impossible to compare. I, I've never well, you know, so and so couldn't handle today's game. And I'm like, really? If if Larry Bird grew up in an era where he had the same access to AAU and nutrition and all that that today's modern basketball players have, you really don't think he wouldn't even be better than he was then? And here's the, just medical advances alone on his injuries would have prolonged his career by and how years. protected shooters are these days too. By yes. the way, let's not forget yes. that he would drop 15 well, a game from the line. Right, but for <laughs> one of the greatest set shooters in the game ever in the history of the game, and you're not allowed to touch him anymore. Like, right. are you kidding me? But according to what's his nuts from Duke. You know, Steph Curry, more physical game for Steph Curry than it was back then. Nope. He's such a class. okay, okay. But yeah, it's just it's hard to compare eras. But that was a dominant team. Would they be good today? Yeah, you could have a great four man group of players because you got to remember one of the four horsemen was a quarterback. Correct. Uh, Yes. Wasn't Harry Stoldreyer one of the? He was their quarterback. I mean, he believe that is correct. Yeah, he threw five hundred twenty yards that year. Yeah. So rushed for nineteen. So it was it was Harry Stoldreyer, Jim Crowley, Elmer Layden, and Don Miller, right? Yep, that was the four four horsemen. Yep, yeah, against a blue gray sky. Yep. All right, some really interesting questions. Fun question, man. Really interesting questions today. I enjoy those. I enjoy those. Good morning, Irish. Thank you for the super chat, guys. What's your favorite football memory as a player and or a coach? Oh, this is. I got this one. This is good. I don't have any money. I I don't see. Look, Brian and I are different uh, from a player standpoint. Okay. Uh, I played in high school, and I use that term loosely. Just curious okay? where you're going with this one. <laughs> no, 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 you actually were good enough to play in college. Okay, and that that's what I'm saying. I played wide receiver in a triple option offense. I did a lot of this. Okay, I was like an undersized tackle that was just detached. Uh, did a lot of blocking. Okay, so from a player standpoint, I don't have a whole lot of memories uh, that were positive. I mean, we were good. We went 11 and 0, or 11 and 1 in my senior year. Like we were really good. Like it was it was fun. I had nothing to do with that. Okay, I blocked really well on the outside. From a coaching standpoint, my absolute favorite memory 
Uh, I have two. My first one was from, I want to say it was the 2012 season. I'm not 100% sure. I was uh, I was coaching at South Bend John Adams, and I had a running back uh, named Shaq Van, and he was really, really good. And he's the best player that we had when I was there. Ended up Eastern, right? Eastern Michigan. Yep. And and then he's he's coaching now too. He ended up coaching running backs at Eastern Michigan. I'm not sure where he's at this year, uh, but anyway, he ran for 425 yards in a game against South Bend St. Joe, and we won by like a touchdown. And because he just kept breaking off all these runs, and our defense couldn't stop him, and their defense couldn't stop Shaq, and. I, it was a fourth and one, and it was the end of the game. Our head coach wanted to punt, and I was like, no, run the ball. Give it to Shaq. And he broke off a 70-yard run on fourth and one basically to win the game. And it was um, – you can see me on the film. We were the away team, and you can see me running with him all the way down to the end zone because I was so excited about that one. But that was uh, by far the best game ever that I was a part of and coached and all that. On the flip side, the negative side was the sectional championship game. We were playing Fort Wayne Carroll, and we were playing Drew Tranquil and his oh. brother. And Justin, we, he was really good. Yep, he ended up going to Purdue, I do believe. He'd have been a lot better without all those dang knee injuries. They yeah. both had a lot of knee injuries. Justin just were more devastating because yep. he wasn't as big as Drew. Correct. And it was Drew's senior year. We were up three touchdowns. And our head coach decided he wanted to keep throwing the football and Drew picked it off, ran it back for a touchdown. Like we ended up losing that game. We were up by three touchdowns in the fourth quarter, lost that game. And I've, I hated Drew Tranquil from that day forward until he became like a really good Notre Dame player. And then I was like, all right, well, he's really good. Uh, But yeah, he basically single-handedly won that game for them. I had a buddy of mine who's a coach, was a coach, was a coach. I mean, he's, you're always a coach, but he, he's not, I don't think he's coaching anymore, but he recruited the area that year. Okay. He said, look, Jalen Smith's a way better prospect than Drew, Drew Tranquil. Sure. So just So he said, but Drew Tranquil is a much better high school football player than, oh, yeah. than, than Jalen Smith was. Like he Absolutely. was an incredible high school football player. Yep. So yeah, he was, uh, he was excellent. He was excellent. My favorite, I don't know, fa- favorite memories of player. I probably, I still remember, I mean, first game I started, sure, seventh grade, you know, it was pretty cool, or eighth grade is pretty cool. I'd say this is going to sound super petty. So I had <laughs> kind of like this, I'll say rival. I didn't view him as a rival per se, but a lot of people viewed it that way. He was a kid, you know, I, I grew up in Ohio, kind of like, I don't know, it's not like that here to a degree, Vince, but growing up in Ohio, you went to the same elementary and middle and high school, you know, oh, I went yeah. to Bath Elementary, Bath Middle, and I would have gone to Bath High School here. if I didn't leave. Right. And I was in the grade below this other kid who was a year ahead of me. And he was considered this great athlete. And he was always going to be the quarterback. And so on the seventh grade teams, first year I ever played football, I wasn't allowed to play football until middle school, until junior high, I should say. Sure. And he was also on our team. And we went seven and one and, you know, six and one and really good. So then I replaced him the next year when he went to high school. And we went seven and oh and beat the team that they lost to. So that, that season was it was my first year playing football. So it's a combination of the first year I ever played football with, you know, that. And yeah, I had some other fun memories. Probably the, the I'm trying to think, best game. I mean, yeah, it doesn't really look at it like best games, more so just big moments, you know, first playoff yep. win as a, as a, 
high school player, best coaching memory. That's an e- that's an easy one because it was actually you know my best memory as a player was probably it was in college. It's when we played. So I, I'm I should press a little little pettiness, but I, I played against the I, so I played at Methodist as a freshman. Just remember who you're talking to? It's okay. Yeah, I played at Methodist as a freshman and played receiver, and then I transferred to Salisbury. And when I was a freshman, we went to Salisbury and beat them. And I remembered how good their cafeteria was. It was a pretty cool little campus. I ended up transferring to Salisbury. It's a lot closer to home, too. And then the next year, we played Methodist. Or Actually, I had to redshirt that one year. But then the next year, we played Methodist. And, and I came off the bench. Our starting quarterback wasn't playing well. I came off the bench, and we, we won the game and threw a touchdown pass in that game. And so that was kind of a, a big one. But then that was kind of a, a big memory for me. But I had a really good game against Wesley who was really good that year. And then I thought I was about to have my greatest memory ever. We were playing Florida state, no playing Florida state or Frostburg state. I wish we got killed by Florida state Uh, playing (laughs) Frostburg state in Raven stadium. And they had just scored to go up on us. And then I I led the team down. We got in field goal range and I thought this is going to be the best moment ever because it's in an NFL stadium. And I had had a really good game. And I let us down, and and my roommate, who was our kicker, just – I mean, Vince, he kicked – it was closer to the corner pylon than it was the upright, and we lost. <laughs> oh, no. So so that, so that was like, okay, so then what was my – so we played that year. We played Chawan College that same year. It was my first career start, and I believe the first pass I threw hit the – hit a guy right in the chest, just okay. perfectly right in the chest problem was he was wearing number 57 and he wasn't on my team uh and i got i sprained my ankle that game had to come out for a series went back in we were down 27 24 with like a couple minutes left lead us down the field we line up my flipping receivers on the wrong side of the field i had to get him lined up i roll out i see that he's got a step so i kind of backpedal i can show you this i still have the video do you really launch a ball into the end zone? He goes up and catches it. I threw it over top, like like high pointed. He catches it, comes down uh, for a 32 yard. Thomas Brown came down with 32 yard touchdown to win. So my first start ever in college as a quarterback, first start as a quarterback, I started as a freshman receiver. I threw a touchdown pass with less than a minute left. Nice and um, uh, had to win. So that's a pretty cool one. That was pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. cool memory. Favorite coaching memory is easy. I've told the story before. We played Salisbury when I was at CNU, Christopher Newport. We played Salisbury in the college football play in the national playoffs. First round. They were 10 and 0, one of the best teams they ever had. They had one of the best D3 athletes I've ever seen, Dustin Johnson. Byron West, Westbrook's little brother uh was Brian Westbrook's little brother. Byron was their running back. Okay. Like he was legit for that level. And they, I mean, they were really good. We beat them 35-24 at their place. And my head coach basically let me design the whole game plan that game and tell him what to run. We passed for like 288 yards. And I mean, I just was coaching circles around him in that game. I, was, I mean, I was on fire that game, man. And after the game, the players dumped water on me. It's the only time I've ever had like, you know, water. We didn't have Gatorade. We had water, you know, in school. <laughs> They dumped the the stuff on me. You know what I mean? So I'm soaking wet. I'm walking across. The coach at Salisbury was my head coach. Okay. So it wasn't even like it was my own. It was my head coach. And he, I see him, he's walking towards me. Not that, not the other team's head, not our head coach, but to me, 
And he stops me and goes, I tried to tell them you're going to have something for us this week, and they didn't want to listen. Best <laughs> <laughs> coaching memory ever. So, because the DC at Salisbury that year is the guy that was my quarterback's coach when I played. Oh, interesting. Year. So he moved to defense and became a, I think he's still there. He's a really good defensive coordinator. But uh, on that day, he uh, was not as good as we were uh, that day. So that was that was my favorite coaching memory would be that one. Because like the game that we won a national championship on, we didn't win the championship because we won. We needed to find out that somebody else lost that oh, day as well. Gotcha. So it was one of like where we ranked third, Monmouth was one. And then I think it was like, it was either Valpo got beat or Valpo beat somebody that was ranked. I can't remember, but Valpo was somehow involved in it. And then we went from three to one. So it was like kind of like that kind of deal. So even though we won and it was a great game, it wasn't us winning a championship. We didn't know we were going to win a championship right. yet. <clears throat> gotcha. and, and it was a, it was a, it was like old school. It had to be voted on anyway. No. Oh, wow. So we had to wait till the polls came out the next day. So that's why that one doesn't rank as my best game. Cause it was an ugly game anyway, but yeah, the Salisbury one is my favorite. That, so I did, that, there's I no top. You, you, you beat your undefeated alma mater. Your coaches, right. the guys that you coached with, you know, are are still there. Guys that I played with were assistant coaches on that team. We went to their place and ruined the best season they ever had. That was <laughs> that was sweet. He's, he's still feeling it. Yeah, man, that was sweet. I, I looked up. Uh, I looked up Shaq, and uh, he's a he's grad at assistant at Washington. Yeah, I, I didn't that. realize that. I was gonna say you have to get with him. We're gonna. Let us go out there and spend some time with that coaching staff, learning some offense, man. Dude, he would do it in a heartbeat. Shaq, he's one yeah. of my favorites I ever coached. There's no yeah. doubt about that. That's awesome. Billy D. Williams he says, uh, oh, thank you for the super chat, Billy. Really appreciate it. Given the clock running uh, on the first down rule, yep. Do you think this means 10 to 15 less plays per game? Does this impact strategy decrease importance of depth? Oh, I definitely don't think it increases the decreases the importance of depth. I mean, no. ten to fifteen plays could be a series, right? If anything, I think it it adds to importance of strategy and obviously what you're saying, but I, I don't think it decreases the importance of depth at all because depth is also about matchups, right? Do you have the ability to match up with certain teams if they're different than the previous team that you matched up against, and, right. and you can't do that again if you don't have depth. I also think the margin for error is a lot thinner now because of you know fewer possessions and stuff like that so if a guy goes down you better hope you got somebody to step up you yeah. know there's all types of reasons where depth is always important and, and 10 to 15 plays a game does not all of a sudden mean you leave your starters in there for the whole time now you still need depth absolutely it just means maybe now you need two backs instead of three maybe maybe but maybe even then, I, I you know I, it just depends on the teams you're gonna play yeah that's what it comes down to yeah it'll be It'll, it'll, I, I'm interested to see how it affects things. Like at the end of, by the time we get to the end of the year, how does it affect stats? How does it affect, you know, time of possession? All of those different things. Like, is it going to be minimal? Is it going to be a bigger impact than we think? Yeah. Like, I, it's going to be fascinating to see how it affects yeah. things. I will say that. And, and look, we all know why this rule was implemented. It was to make sure the games fit in the TV windows. It, and they can see all they want is about player safety. No, it's not. It's, it's a joke. It's, a, it's yeah. They don't it's like the fact joke. that these games keep overlapping. Exactly. It, what's funny is, is they shorten the games. Like Major League Baseball games are shorter now, but I didn't notice that the ticket costs have gone down now that there's less of a mm. product to watch. That's Amazing, interesting. isn't it? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Mm. 
This is cool. Larry Friedel says it was first bowl games versus Texas in the Cotton Bowl. I was there. That's really cool. Ooh. It was actually their second bowl game, though. People forget they played in the 1925 Rose Bowl against Stanford. That was actually right. their first bowl game. First one back. But yes. Once they, well, first one since they changed the rule to allow right. them to play in the bowl games. There was some, I forget what Lou said. There was some story that is why they were allowed to play in the Rose Bowl in 24, after the 24 season. I can't remember what it was. But yeah, it was a little bit of a different, a little bit of, of a different situation. Here's an interesting one. Uh, Chris Bacon says, "Why does Gino make all our quarterbacks look like midgets?" Well, that's a, it's because he's really tall, and Notre Dame's <laughs> quarterbacks aren't. I was going to say know, they're I mean, not exactly yeah. scraping the, the ceiling. Yeah, I mean, Gino Gadulli's like what six four? Is he that tall? I think yeah, he's six three maybe. Um, I can tell you right now, I don't know how old he is because uh, he's got some gray peppered in there, but yeah, he moves around just fine. Yeah, he's uh, six four. Basically, okay. just a shade under six four, uh, and Notre Dame's quarterback Sam Hartman's like six one. Kenny Minchie yeah. six one. Steve Angeli six two. So he's just bigger than they are. Right. So yeah, that's that's why he makes them look shorter. I also think some of it is angles of camera. Sure. On some of the videos, it's a you know, guys are further away and the coach is closer, and he's already well, two inches taller, three inches taller. He's going to look even bigger than those. And guys. here's the other thing: like a lot of times when you take a picture of the quarterback standing near him or whatever. They're in like a athletic position too, which means the yeah. quarterbacks are crouched down. You know what I mean? So I mean that, that's probably part of it too. But he is taller. I mean, it's not an optical yeah. illusion. He's taller. But at least the Notre Dame players aren't wearing those ridiculous helmets like uh Aaron Rodgers was wearing with the Jets. Have you seen I didn't those see pictures? Uh-uh. Oh, I'll have to send that to I'll you. Look totally. it, it is hilarious. There's so many memes out there. Remember the little green alien from like Looney Tunes with mm-hmm. like the big helmet? Like so many people are comparing him to that, it's priceless. He's wearing on the Jets helmet. Yeah, okay. the helmet, the the new helmet that he wears is just like this ridiculous. It's like this huge deal on top. It just it looks like it okay. looks comedic. Anyway, Irish Gordian, not what player have you seen over the years that was just money in practice but could never put the rubber to the road in a game? <laughs> well, that's. <laughs> <laughs> say it man it's not gonna be me it's not gonna be me marist right i mean oh no i was i thought you're gonna go with a quarterback oh, oh i wasn't gonna go there <laughs> i wanted to sound too too petty yeah um why is the name escaped me number 33 uh linebacker um why is his name escaped me wasn't that long ago it, it, jack lamb uh, no 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 not longer ago than that okay 33 was it like during Kelly's tenure or yes. Okay. He was the, the kid that they kept playing over and over again. Cause he was a, a dude in practice, but he was never any good in a game, but he was good during like the Clemson game. I think maybe in 2020. Oh, Shane Simon, Shane Simon. Thank you. Yeah. I don't know why yeah. his name was like escaping my brain. Shane Simon is a perfect example of this. Yeah. He was pretty good in practice. Yeah. If Ian Book could play in games like he did on set on practice, he'd be unbelievable. And that's why that's why so many media members loved Ian Book. And that's why so many coaches got him enamored with him. I get it. But like they saw what he did in practice and they're like, yeah, he's the guy. No doubt about it. Yeah. Practice matter. I mean, games matter. Mm-hmm. They do. <laughs> ND football nerd. Now that Jack Kaiser has added 10 pounds and maintained his explosiveness, what is his ceiling? 23 can he be notre dame's best linebacker does he now have better nfl prospect profile 
can he be their best linebacker? He can. I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet on it, but he right. can, especially if he, you know if he plays more full time. Well, I think the biggest impact for him, and the reason it changes his ceiling, is because I think there's a potential now for more production because he can stay on the field more. Right. Because if he's just a rover, he's coming off the field when they go nickel. Just reality. I mean, that's why Maris had way more snaps last year than Jack Kaiser because right. Maris was a rover or a will, and a will stays on the field all the time. If if you look at, for example, what was it, 2017, Vince, when Drew Tranquil was the rover, what would happen is is when they would go base defense, a lot of times they would leave they would leave Drew they would bring Drew inside, and so that year, even though Drew was the rover, he led the linebackers in snaps, partly because you had a three man rotation inside with Niles, Greer, and Tavon, but also because it, a lot of times in nickel you they'd move Drew inside, and and playing that way so there's there's all types of different aspects that kind of that, that factor into that as yeah. to how that can be if so if jack can play inside more then you can add 150 200 more snaps potentially to his sure you know 10 nickel snaps a game that's 12 games it's at least 120 you know snaps over the course of regular season at least on to his his so that's going to be a lot of a jump in production right probably at least 20 30 more tackles that kind of thing so there's a potential for that. Now, does that increase his draft prospect profile? Yeah, it does. If Jack Kaiser can be 230 plus pounds and still run what you and I think he's going to run, which is four five, right? right? I'm not saying yep. four five flat, but in the four fives, then yes, that he's going to have a chance to. Yeah, that's a really weird looking hat helmet. That's really large at the top. <laughs> Click on the link too because it does the little side by side with the cartoon character. Yeah, it's that's pretty a, comical. But oh, anyway, Marvin the Marvin the Martian. No, that's not Marvin the Martian. That's no, the guy from the Jetsons. Yeah, Jetson. Okay, Great Gazoo yeah. from the Jetsons. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, the internet is undefeated, man. I'm yeah, it really is. Anyway, I was thinking you were going a different direction. I thought Sorry. it was Marvin the Martian, and he was going to have like the, you know, oh. like the things on the side. So yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. No, really it's just weird. like it's huge. I yeah, mean, it's weird. and I realize it's the new helmet and the concussions, and I get all of it, yeah. but like it just looks ridiculous. Back to the point. Yes. I do think yes. if yes. he can prove to be an inside linebacker, that would help his draft profile. Is sure. it going to jump him up three, four rounds? Probably not. Right. But that's going to be measurables are going to be good. That's the thing. His, well, his, his speed testing, his measurables his, to me. His I would ask measure. Vince, are, what are you referring to? You talk because like his right. height, weight, to, or his length is going. That's a measurable that I think is not going to be good. Are you talking like the testing stuff? I'm talking about his testing. Yeah, that'll be really good. Right. Yeah, that that'll be really good. And then if he can play inside linebacker, and all of a sudden, you know, you may right. view him special teams great, special teams guy. His right. length is going to always be the thing that limits him. Sure. But now the lack of girth, if he can play that way, because again, you could be ten extra pounds, but if you're not any better at block destruction and playing in the trash and doing all that, then it's not going to matter what your weight right. is. It's, you right. can't play that. You don't play that game. So that's going to be kind of the bigger, the big part of that one. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones, who get it done. David Lowe, does this team look dangerous so far from what y'all have seen in practice? It, it's it, it's really it's impossible early. for me to say that, David. I'll say what I said again. They look very athletic. Right. That That is what they're, they're very athletic. They're big in the right spots. 
Does that mean that they're going to be dangerous? If the if the athleticism turns into production, yeah, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. But they're just – they're going to need some time. Yeah. They're going to need yeah. some time. Yeah. But they look very athletic. Pads. Yeah. Need to see them in pads. Yeah. Joe Medina, favorite college football-related day. National signing day or first game of the season? First game of the season for me. I Not mean, because it's – it's, Signing day used to be in the conversation. Yes, it's changed. Back when it was on one day yeah. and kids committed really late and a bunch of dudes made signing day decisions. I, I've yeah. told you this. My first year of coaching, I was at Wittenberg, and I wasn't making any money. I was a volunteer. Hmm. My parents basically helped me out. They'd send me some money. And I remember one month, I had to ask my mom for some more money because I ran up so that much dang money calling Tom Lemming's 1-900 number to find out <laughs> you know, who no name was going to get on a signing day because I don't like not knowing. And of course, the way Tom would do it is he would tease you and then go through all these other things and never get to that. And then it's like, dude, literally, you could have done that in two minutes, but then you don't make money that way. Right. But it was wild. But yeah, that's it was fun back then. It just it signing day is so anticlimactic now. now. Yeah, you already know who the class is going to be. They don't even have any signing day battles like they don't even have like major press conferences and like do you remember back like even when i first started covering the team and i wasn't covering recruiting per se but we as reporters would sit at notre dame all day you'd be there all like all day covering as the faxes are coming in and all of these different things waiting to see if certain kids were going to commit and all these different things and you would sit there all day in the big room and they would have lunch for the remember they would provide mm-hmm. lunch that's a thing of the past and you you would do that, and then they would have a big press conference after the fact. Like it was an all day affair, and that's just not the way it is anymore. They used to have a buffet, Brian, for the I don't press remember that conference of the year. Oh, I'll never forget. Like uh, Charlie Weiss, he had his big. See, I never opening. covered Charlie. Yeah, so, yeah, he had his big opening, you know, season press conference, or and it was in the press box. Remember the old press box, how they like you, you had the places where you sat and then behind was where they had the tables and stuff. Yeah. They had a big buffet set up, you know, the whole thing. And he would get up and he would do his thing and then you would eat and then they would bring some players up and you talk to them, whatever. And I, I'll never forget it because the first thing out of his mouth was uh, he goes, sorry, Eric, you know, we've got to do the press conference before I'm going to allow you to eat or something like that. Like he was always busting Eric Hansen's chops. Like that, but that was that. That was their thing. I'm just reporting what I what I heard. But like, no comment. Yeah, no comment at all. But I'm just saying they used to feed reporters a lot, and that just doesn't happen anymore. It's very sad. It is Irish blooded. When people see the ND defensive line do X, will be when they realize they underestimated how good that unit is. If they're if they're consistently spending time in the opponent backfield. That, that's what it'd be for me. Right. That's when we'll know if they're going to be, we've under, we've underestimated them is if they're doing that, if they're not doing that, then they're just, it's still the same thing, Vince. It potentials there, but the production is not eventually. Right. We say it all the time. The production has to become the potential has to turn into production. Right. For a D line. It means you're spending more time mm-hmm. on their side of the line of scrimmage than you are at the line or behind the line. Right. You're on your side of the line. I should say that that'll be it. Just the disruptiveness would be the big thing for me. Andy football nerd will the 23 running back room as a whole have more than will have more 50 plus yard touchdowns than Adams did in 2017. I don't know what that number is. It was I'm like sure eight or nine. Right. It was kind of nuts. I um, would say 
I would be shocked if that was the case. That's a yeah, lot. Yeah, it is, especially with like the RP. I mean, I remember that team was a a running back driven, like run game driven offense that year. I mean, Brandon Wimbush did not throw the ball a whole lot that year. You know, I mean, so so you got way more opportunities right that season to for someone to to rip it off. I just that was, you know, I don't know. That was a fun season to watch, though, because it every time they handed him the ball, you were just kind of like waiting for that to happen, yes. like just a big yes. run to happen. And, and, and then yeah. when it did, it's just like, oh, there we go. Like, it, right. That was that was fun just because of that. But that was I also understood as I was watching it, like this doesn't always happen. And right. I don't see that happening again anytime soon. So if you look at, at him in 2017, he had a. 50 he had a 60 yard run against temple he had two 50 plus yard runs against boston college he had a 73 yard run against miami ohio 73 yard run against north carolina 84 yard run against usc 77 yard run against nc states so he had seven that year from from my count i believe i believe that's correct he had seven that year that's still a lot that's more than any other what lou <laughs> lo, this is from lou samoji this isn't my stat this is what lou told me and when lou says a stat like this you know it's accurate he said that's more 50-yard touchdown runs in that season than any other Notre Dame running back had in their careers. Yeah. You don't just don't get a lot of 50-plus-yard touchdown runs. You just mm-hmm. don't. That team was a unicorn and when it comes to that. Right. That team lacked efficiency in the run game, though. That was the problem. Right. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I – like last year, there, were, there was only one team in all of college football last year that had more than seven 50-yard runs. That was Northern Illinois. That's it. Right. And there were five teams that had seven. Right? Like, yeah. Notre Dame in 2017 had 11. So, like, it, again, and, and the, the game's changed a little bit, right? So you're seeing a few less of those because now teams are, you know, throwing the ball more and RPOs. Like, in 2014 and in 2017, there were five teams with 10 or more runs of 50 or more. In the last two years, nobody's had more than eight. Nobody. So, yeah, you're just the odds of this backfield doing that. I mean, it's not not high. Yeah, for fifty yard runs, right? <clears throat> Especially our fifty yard, and those are just fifty yard runs. Period. I didn't even count touchdown runs. Those are just That's fifty true. yard runs total. So, um, yeah. That would be tough because most of Josh's long runs that year were touchdowns. Now, the the Temple 60-yarder was a touchdown. Neither of his 60s against BC were touchdowns, I don't believe. I think he got he got caught from behind on both of those, if I remember correctly, Vince. Let's see, Josh Adams, yeah. Josh didn't even score against them because he because of that. His uh, Obviously, this, the 73-yard against Miami, Ohio was a touchdown. The 73 against North Carolina, the 84 against USC, the 77 against NC State were all – Touchdowns. So five. So he had five. I still don't yeah. see five happening. I mean, yeah, but like like last year, Vince, there were only see see there were only ten teams in all of college football that had more than five total fifty yard runs. Right, and not that's, touchdown that's not runs. Touchdowns. Total, now right. again, a lot of times fifty yard runs end up being touchdowns, but sure. not all of them. Sure, you know, even Josh's, not all of Josh's. He had two that weren't. So it'll be it'll be tough. Yeah. It'll be t- it'd be tough if they do it though. This team's gonna be really fun to watch, man. Because this team's gonna throw the ball a lot more effectively than that one did. Right, they're gonna be more efficient in the run game too. 
I think. Irish-blooded, harder to scheme against, elite defensive line play or elite secondary play? I, I'm going to go with elite defensive line play for me because if you are if you have a defensive line in your face all the time, over and over, just disrupting everything you want to do up front, it's very difficult to take advantage of uh, of a secondary. I mean, because you got to get the ball out quick. you got to do a lot of different things to – scheme away from an elite defensive line so it's in my opinion it's much harder to scheme against an elite defensive line and the football nerd well well, we had that one we did have that i'm sorry we just had that one i meant to click on this one from indy football nerd boom how important is coaching staff continuity in relation to competing for championships after all the pre-camp moves throughout the offseason how big of a hill is that to overcome I, there, there really weren't a lot of pre-camp moves. This is the thing we've talked about, like John, is is there really weren't a lot of pre, pre-camp moves. They were just big ones, right? right? Like you lost your offensive coordinator, your O-line coach, and your special teams coach. That's it. Right. That's true. I mean, you know, you hired Gino Gadouli. You hired – you got the same running backs coach. You got the same receivers coach. You got the same tight ends coach. Got the same D-line coach. You've got the same D coordinator, same corners coach, same safeties coach. Right. You really didn't have a lot of – I mean, compared to other people, I mean, Nebraska, Bama's completely revamped their coaching staff this year from a coordinator standpoint. You know, Clemson fired their coordinator. So, I mean, teams right. are losing guys, and they got to replace them. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I think, think continuity is – Yeah, I think continuity is important, but, I mean, let, let's not forget Notre Dame – had to revamp their coaching staff. Last couple of times, Notre Dame revamped their coaching staff in an offseason. It resulted in really big improvements. True. You look at 2011 when he fired, got rid of Charlie Molnar and, and uh, you know, Ed Warner left and all that. And he brought in Harry Heastan and you know, I think moved Chuck Martin to the OC. Because remember, Chuck Martin started as a safeties coach and then moved to OC in 2012. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden that made a big difference for Notre Dame. Right. Uh, bringing, you know, with that, that turnover, he had some changes on defense as well. You look at 2017. When they fired Van Gorder and Keith Gilmore was gone and had a lot of turnover on that staff, come out in 2017, you got two new coordinators and got a new strength coach and got all these changes to the program. And then, boom, that team goes from four and eight to 10 and three. Yeah. You know, so continuity is important, but so is talent and, yeah. and from a coaching standpoint, right? And so, you you want to have some continuity, but I remember one of the things I hated when Brian Kelly said was like, you know, hey, we're we're a couple points here and there from from doing this, this, and this, and it's like he's not going to look in the mirror and be like, we 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 like Brian Kelly looked at those close losses as like we're close. Where I looked at him and said, no, you were just super talented and it masked a lot of stuff because I would argue you were you were closer to losing to Boston College than you were to beating Clemson if it wasn't a rainy day that right. day. You know what I mean? Like you had some benefits. You 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 caught some breaks too. That that's right, right. But that's and not how he looks at it. So exactly. But but you know. So sometimes turnover is good. So, but but if you're going to have turnover, hire good people. Right. You know, and we've seen that. Dan Lanning goes out, leaves Georgia after 2021, and they don't miss a beat. Right. I mean, you keep mm-hmm. rolling. They lose Sam Pittman from coaching the O line. And they, who was considered a great old line coach, well, they've won two championships since he left. Is that did they win because he left? No, you you replaced a good offensive line coach with another good offensive line coach. Sam Pittman laid a great foundation of talent and coaching, and the next guy builds on it. And that's kind of what you're doing at Notre Dame. Is you know I think Tommy Reese left Gino Gadulli with a pretty good room, 
it's a little younger than we would like, but sure. Sam Hartman and Kenny Minchie and, you know, Angela, you're excited about it. Harry, he stand left Joe, Joe Rudolph with a, gr- a much better situation than what he inherited when he took over, you know, sure. last year. So it, it, you're, you're in a good place. So I don't think it's a big of a hill. I think the coaches that have the biggest weight on their shoulders are returners. You know, it, it's, it's can Jared Parker, you know, build on what Tom Reese, he's, t- he's in a new role, but same guy, but it's, it's Al Golden. It's, it's Al Washington. It's, it's Chris O'Leary. It's those guys. It's Marcus right. Freeman. It's those guys more so than anything else. And in, in my opinion, Vince, I don't, you know, I don't know if you disagree, but that's just, no, I, and, and look, these guys, yes, you want them, you want the coaches to be, they need to be able to work with each other. They don't need to all be best friends and have sleepovers and stuff like that. They need to have a good working environment. And that's what these guys do. And I, I haven't seen anything with my own eyes to tell me that the, you know, the coaches aren't getting along and they're not be able, they're not able to work together. And I don't think you've heard of anything from your sources that would speak otherwise. And so I, it, it doesn't feel like a very high hill to climb to me at all. I think that is the least of the concerns. Uh, if there are concerns, this is the least of them. DJ, let's say it's full practice. How many snaps with the ones would you give Sneed, Zinter, Mickey and Onye? So with ones, I'd probably, I mean, with, with Snead, I mean, probably, probably none on a normal day. Cause the way you do practice is you get your ones and then your twos and it's like a 60, 40 split. Yep. Uh, I would do what coach Freeman talked about is some days I'd work him in with the ones, but I, where I'm wor- right now with Jalen Snead, I'm not so much worried about working him with the ones at linebacker. It's, it's really working him with the ones on my, my nickel defense where I think he can really be impactful. And then you can be my, my depth player at linebacker. Now all of a sudden Jalen's getting a lot of reps because he's my number two at will or Rover or wherever he's giving me a lot of nickel reps. And that's where I would get him. You know, you could, you could maybe say 20% of one reps, uh, Zinter, none right now, Jaden Mickey, 20 to 30%, Jason Onye, 20 to 30%, you know, just through the course of a week, maybe, but they're going to get the full 40% of the reps with the twos. So you got to be careful that you're not, you know, giving those guys more work than your ones. So 20 to 30% at the most, at the most, most likely probably closer to probably honestly, that's five to 10, just occasionally working them in with the ones. Right. And now, Mm -hmm. and doing it that way. Now, what can be interesting with like D line with Onye, for example, is, it's how are you going to do your rotation? So the way Notre Dame did their D-line rotation last year was they would literally like sub out almost the entire D-line, which I do right. not like. No. I like the way they did it before where your starting lineup, for example, in 2018 was Tillery and Bonner, Jonathan Bonner inside, and then Khalid Kareem and and, and uh, Julian Aguar outside. Well, for the rest of the game, you would rarely have Tillery and Bonner on the field together. For the rest of the game, Tillery would – a lot of times be on the field with like Kurt Heinish and then Bonner, the starter would be on the field with like Myron Tungvaloa the number two, three technique. And you kind of, you always have at least two starters in the field a lot of the time. And I like that. I like that approach yeah. a little bit better, to be honest with you. Where you up front where you mix and match a little bit more sure. linebackers is a little different because you, you want that constant communication. You want guys used to communicating to each other to be there right. together, but that's just kind of how I would do it to me. That's just my two cents, Vince. You have you have anything you want to add, or are you ready to move nope. on to the next? Set one? the next one. Okay, Ty Smith. Let's say Clemson doesn't get to the playoff this season, but has an all right season. Do you guys see Will Shipley declaring for the draft or transferring schools and going another year? 
I don't see any scenario where she would. Yeah, I don't see any scenario when she would transfer. I, I think if he's a running back and he and he doesn't want to be at Clemson, it's probably because he's going to the NFL. Right. I don't Agreed. think their team success is going to have anything to do with Will Shipley's decision. I mean, if they're eight and four, but Will Shipley rushes for fourteen hundred yards, he's gone. He's gone. You know, so which is why we were talking about Audrey Estime, and right. you know, he he's not if he goes out and has a. 13, 1400 yard season, et cetera. And Notre Dame ends up being nine and three or something like that, or nine and four or 10 and three. He's going to go because there's look, what, what are we talking about in the NFL right now with all these running backs, all mad that they're not making their money and all this other stuff. The only way to make your money is to go there and do it. And there's a, there's a shelf life for running backs in the NFL. If that's not on the forefront, I don't know what is to this whole conversation, but there's a shelf life. You need to go and you need to get your money because each each running back only has X amount of carries in them, in my opinion. Do you want to waste mm-hmm. that if you know a year in college, or do you want to take that opportunity and go make some money? I would recommend a, that a, a running back in college, if you had a, a productive three years and you're getting projected as a draftee in, into the NFL, you go, you go and you take you take that paycheck, man, and because it's very limited as a whole on average. So I, I don't see Will Shipley transferring to anywhere else. I mean, he is from my perspective, he's Clemson through and through. I mean, if he goes out and has a big year, he's going to the NFL anyway, regardless. Bill Walsh Navy was supposedly throwing more short passes than usual in spring practices. They used to throw just a few deep balls. Who will they, who will be the key for the Notre Dame defense? If this is the new Navy look. Guys, it's still going to come down to stopping the fullback and the quarterback run game. 100%. I mean, I would dare Navy to keep throwing hitches at me. Like, f- throw hitches because I'm going to tackle you in space. And right. there's going to be one that Benjamin Morrison's going to step in front of and take it back to the house. Correct. Or Cam Hart or Jaden Mickey or whatever. Like, please throw a hitch route to your receiver who's not that good instead of handing off to your fullback and run the triple. Please. Right. So, you know, look, it, it, it Sometimes I think I understand the desire to want to throw the ball more out of the triple option. But I think sometimes, if depending on how you do it, Vince, it can be detrimental. Oh, yes. Because part It'll of running the triple. Script. Right. Well, also, Sorry. part of running the triple is the more you run it, the more times there's chance you're going to hit it. Like when sure. Paul Johnson was this way and, and coach Nia Matalolo was this way early before his, um, you know, before they started to struggle, it could be third and 10 and they're still running the triple because, you know, Hey, look, we're going to get in the fourth and two and we're going to run the triple, you know, or the concepts off of it that you just never, they never really got out of that. The only thing you get them out of that was the score mm-hmm. and the time in the game. And so to me, the other thing too is, you know, unless you're complete 90% of your passes, you're, you're going to start doing a lot more things that could potentially stop the clock. Mm-hmm. When they complete pass out there, you know, it's a zero yard gain as opposed to a minus three on a pitch, but the clock stopped on an incomplete pass. So the whole the point of you like running the clock friend. thing out is gone because you threw five more incomplete passes or something yeah. like that on first and second down. Because right now, a lot of your incomplete passes come on first down or third down. Yeah. You know, and, and that's what, it, you know, now it's going to be first, second, third, and, you know, so. If you got good players out there, the year they had Jamar Tillman, that's the year they should have thrown the ball a little bit more. But you know what? They did. That was the year they had Will Worth, and they were really you know, pretty good that year. But, you know, like, man, take the ball out of the fullback's hands and throw a hitch route, please. Yeah. You know, or absolutely. a slide out. Or 
because your quarterback's not going to be a, a guy that's throwing the ball a million times. He's going to make more mistakes on reads in that in that at part of the game too. Now it may not happen against Notre Dame because Notre Dame won't have a ton of film on it. But you start getting into week six and seven and all that, and teams start kind of getting clues on when you like to throw the ball. They're going to bait you into that, give sure. you the look that makes you think we're going to throw the outcut, and then the snap bite it because your quarterback hasn't seen that nearly as many times as Notre Dame's quarterback has seen that because they have to throw the ball so much more. And I mean, I, if you're a, yeah, go ahead, Vince. I was going to say I'm not. If I'm Notre Dame, I'm not worried about a bunch of short passes. That doesn't. Yeah affect my play calling defensively i mean it might that might affect the scheme that we go into it with but we're still number one trying to stop the triple option and you know i trust my elite going back to our previous conversation i trust my elite corners to you know not bite and do things that they're not supposed to do and that's what you have to trust those guys to do so if you want to throw underneath you throw underneath all day long i i it's the it's honestly it's the long stuff where you can get looking in the caught looking in the backfield and things like that. that's where Notre Dame's been burned in the past. Yeah, not worried about short stuff. Throw as I'm much short much, stuff as you want. Much much more worried about us hitting the wrong gap on a fullback dive and that guy yeah. ripping it for fifty than I am my corners missing a tackle on a hitch or an out or a slant Correct. route. Exactly. So yeah, I I just yeah, I just feel if you're gonna run the triple, you gotta you gotta be all about that life. Yes. You know you can't be part in. You can't dip your yeah. toe in the triple option. You no. gotta. No, you got to be about. It. You've seen people try to run triple like as a like a wrinkle or whatever, and they're terrible at it because you have that you have to live and breathe triple option, man. Like yeah. there, there's a high school in this area, Mishawaka, where Justin Fisher went, who's on Notre Dame's team. They go to triple option camp. I mean, they do. I mean, it is triple option, triple option, triple option. That's who you have to be if that's what you want to be. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't. You, you can't be part-timer and because it doesn't work. You're not good at right. it. You're not crisp enough at it, and then you're not going to be good at it. Right. Here's an example we're talking about, Vince. JHT, 1988. Imagining Aldrich bulldozing every defender in 1924. Yeah, if you had like a time machine and you could take right. present-day Aldrich estimate back to then. Right. Present-day Aldrich estimate would be a tackle back then. Well, probably he, too he big to be a tackle. But he wouldn't look like he looks. Right, I mean, for, exactly. Like, look, if new, if if Aldrich Estime was the same athlete now as he was back then as he is now, Newt Rockney would be putting him at fullback and trust me, he'd be using him. <laughs> but he wouldn't be that guy. Nutrition is no. different. Food is different. Everything, Weight training is yeah. different. Sciences. I mean, there's just so many differences, right? And let, let's, I mean, well, I'm not going to get into the other reasons he wouldn't be playing at <sighs> those schools back then. You know what I mean? Right. In 1924. So, but he wouldn't look, he wouldn't be who he is today. That's no. the whole point. No. It's just, it's different era. Uh, 